Today's reading is Mark 10, 17-31. It can be found on page 933 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. As, Mark, as, uh, sorry, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do you, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we walk into this room, we come from all kinds of different places. And we may have a journey where we feel like we know you, or we have, we've had periods of our life where we have um, spent a lot of time thinking or learning about you. But even there, even if that describes us, there are different places we might find ourselves now. Maybe it feels like that was all that was all a different era, and none of that feels alive and active and the same and real anymore. Others of us may feel things feel more real than ever before, that your presence in our life is unmistakable. And some sit here with just questions, just, you know... Question after question, it seems like answers never come, and and it makes the whole thing, the idea of you, the idea of faith, seem like a house of cards. Others of us come, maybe invited by a friend, and we we wonder if we belong here at all. Is this something we can connect with? And some come, there's just a level of hurt today, that if only it could be voiced, if only it could be heard and acknowledged and soothed by, by love, by the love of others, or by your love. And we come from all these places, and the truth is, we're all the, in the same boat. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And your gospel, the story of your grace, the story of the scriptures, the good news says that, yeah, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit, but at the same time, simultaneously, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. That's how you 
operate in our lives. That is the offer you give to us wherever we find ourselves. We don't have to achieve our way to you. You come to us. May the safety of that grace and the joy that's possible in that offer um, come alive for us today as we listen to your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, last week, last week we finished in a sermon that, uh, I finished with a sermon that touched on, towards the end of it, touched on sex. So, of course, we have to move on to the next uncomfortable top, topic and talk about money. Um, this is the question of the week last week that you put some answers to. What would you do if you suddenly inherited a fortune? It was kind of fun on Wednesday when my kids said, turn on Mix 96, and then they were, doing, they were taking calls and texts on this exact same question. And uh, so it was fun to hear people's answers about quitting their job and what they would say to their boss and all this kind of stuff. This is what you guys said. Uh, first answer... Suddenly inherit a fortune. Send our kids to good colleges. Be generous with ministries, friends, and neighbors. Enjoy good food and travel. Second answer, one word. Shoes. Third answer starts with one word. Shoes. I'm serious. Another person said that. But then they, uh, they had some other stuff too. I think they felt guilty, so they wrote some more. I would set up a foundation that supports God's creation through people whose ministry is serving to change hunger, thirst, education, caring for our planet, artists, bringing the kingdom to fruition. And I would also like a a little home by the ocean or a river. And a couple of last uh, answers. Some brown nosers in the city life community. Somebody said, give it all to city life. That's actually what this sermon is all about. Amen. (laughs) Go in peace. Uh, Someone else said, I'd like to, this is the final answer, I'd like to say I'd give a big chunk, put a big chunk in savings and to city life, of course. But then uh, they finish by saying it's hard to say what I'd actually do, though. And I think, you know, isn't there honesty in that? Like, what, what even, what kind of mental space would you even be in if you inherited a fortune? And how would that lead you to decide what to do? Who knows? And who would, be ask, who would suddenly be asking for your money? You'd suddenly be so popular among all your extended family and relatives, right? Um, this, is what I, this is what I wrote in the blog post this week. Uh, maybe you read it. This is like a teaser for the topic today. My problems would be solved. I'd finally have enough. My kid's education would be paid for. Private high school, top-notch university. I could buy that house. I'd get rid of that clunker of a car I drive and get something dependable. I'd finally be able to save. I'd finally have time to volunteer. I'll quit my job and finally have time for people in my life. No more tedious coupon cutting and yard projects. I'm going with online grocery ordering. Delivered to my door and a landscape service will come by twice a week. Of course, that's after I hire a landscape architect to get it looking right without having to lift a finger, I'll finally be able to have people over. You know, I'll just call up the house cleaner and line up the food with a caterer. But if I become suddenly rich and fixed up all these cracks in my life, I'd also have an external realization or an eventual realization. I've shielded my life from a lot of difficult things, daily annoyances, even certain levels of suffering, but I'm still not there. There's not enough of something essential My heart hasn't changed. 
And in fact, my character development has screeched to a halt. After all, isn't it the daily struggles that provide my growth opportunities? Should I be concerned that I've hired out my daily struggles? Does anyone ever have enough? Is anybody getting those emails? Anybody seeing the emails with this blog link? No? Let us know. Give us your email address if you're not getting that. All right. Um, in a sense, today's Sunday at City Life could be called, if you give the whole day a heading, it could be Good Luck Retaining Any First-Time Visitors Sunday. <laughs> right? You've just walked in onto a church talking about money and about Jesus' harsh words to us on money. Um, Others of you, though, you've been around a little while, you have, um, as Sam Greenlee put it, I love this phrase, you have enough emotional padding to absorb even an invasive blow like uh, this message on money from Jesus. So, you know, you might not get scared off by this, but the truth, truth is we should talk about it more. We should have a message on money once a month. We should have it discussing it in our pod groups. We should be... Having, talking about it in our prayer time, we should be giving you resources on how to pray, on how to study about it. We should be having meetings to talk about greed and generosity. You should be getting emails about this. Why? Why do I think that? Well, let's let Brad Pitt's words tell you why. This is an interview after he made the movie Fight Club. So this is what he says. The point is... Oh, and when he says Tyler, he's talking about the, the character in Fight Club, okay, the movie. Okay, the point is, he says, the question has, has to be asked, what track are we on? Tyler starts out in the movie saying, man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, the versions of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? So this is Brad Pitt again. He says, if you ask me, I say, toss all this. We got to find something else. Because all I know is at this point in time, we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want it. I don't want that. The interviewer of Rolling Stone says, so if we're heading towards this kind of existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? Brad Pitt. Hey, man, I don't have those answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. He smiles. I'm sitting in it. And I'm telling you, that's not it. Whether you want to listen to me or not, and I say that to the reader, that's not it. I know I'm the guy who's got everything, but I'm telling you, once you get everything... Then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't help. It doesn't help you sleep any better. And you don't wake up any better because of it. Brad Pitt. That's why we got to talk about it, because Brad Pitt thinks we got to talk about it. Because it's important. And today, I want you to stop and think, honestly, I want you to stop and think about this, this statement I'm about to make. Do you, do you buy it at all? Do you believe in it? Have you tracked with it or connected with it or taken it seriously at all. Stop and consider this statement for yourself. This is the promise of the Christian faith. Jesus has your real treasure. 
And you could change it a little bit and say, Jesus is your real treasure. Really stop and evaluate where you sit with that statement. You know, think about just your awareness of the other treasures in your life. Or the access that you've been given to this treasure of Jesus. Are you, do you know about and have you bought into that you have access to this treasure? And acceptance. Have you accepted? Are you open to this treasure? Have you opened your life to it? That's the question today. Jesus is your real treasure. Have you connected with that? And Jesus, I think in this passage, is showing us that he enables. He enables your awareness of conflicting treasures or competing treasures. He, he, he not only makes you aware, but he gives you access, and then he also enables your acceptance because it's so hard for us to even accept the treasure that he gives. So let's look at awareness. Jesus makes you aware. And we need it because the, any, any small amount of comfort that comes with financial independence, any amount of comfort, immediately starts to lull us to sleep and we need to be woken up. And that's what, did you, did you catch the, the intense language, but also the repetition from Jesus in this passage? I know we just kind of read through those texts fast. But if you look at it, two times he says, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is hard. It is hard, he says twice. It is hard to enter the kingdom of God. And then he's got the, that other great phrase. It's easier for a what, camel, camel to go through the eye of an eagle than for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven, I think is how it goes there. And... Uh, and basically what that means is that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. And those of you who have been in church settings know that there's a hundred different ways that people try to say what that actually means. It means that. It's basically an ancient way of saying a snowball's chance in hell. You know, it's a phrase, that's the kind of phrase that we're talking about here when he says camel through an eye of a needle. And it's really because of the narrative and the storyline in our culture that we've all thoughtlessly bought into. Uh, let, me, let me read this from like a, a brief email newsletter that I got a long time ago. It talks about how in this book, The Pursuit of Happiness, David Myers tells us that when researchers asked, what hampers your search for the good life? The top answer was, we're short, on, we're short of money. Most people think that improving their financial situation 10 or 20% will increase their happiness. The problem is that common wisdom is wrong, says researchers. And yet, you know, we're all a part of that storyline. And it doesn't, we don't seem to know when to stop. That's one of the problems of that too. You know, a little bit, I need a little bit more. Everybody feels that way. You, keep, you get a little more, what happens? You need, you need a little more. You look at the other people who have a little more and look what they can do. And so a couple weeks ago, this uh, famous basketball player in Chicago named Derek Rose, um, in, a, in press day as this, the preseason's about to start, and I'm, you know, N, NBA basketball junkie, I know, so I'll keep this short. But he basically makes a statement that becomes a little controversial, and the statement it has to do with him saying, hey, you know, with all the money they're giving out in this league, I'm looking ahead two years 
to when I'm going to get mine because that's when his contract is up and there's this skyrocketing that's happening in what players are making and he's like a little bit behind that curve. Okay, so, and, and this is what he says. He says, I'm, think, I'm just being real here. He says, I'm thinking about my kids and my family. I'm thinking about PJ, you know, he's thinking about his child. Okay, this sounds great. Only problem is we're talking about someone who's been making for the last few years $20 million a year. Okay, so that puts it in a little different perspective, right? I mean, we're talking about someone who basically, and I, I love Derek Rose, so this isn't like a bashing. I'm, I'm saying we're all on the spectrum, it never stops. We're talking about someone who wins the lottery every month. One and a half million dollars every month. Put it into a daily amount. I love to do this. Um, well, it depends on how you go with taxes, no taxes, but we're talking somewhere around forty to $50,000 a day. And he's looking around going, for my kids, what I really need is sixty to $70,000 a day. Then they'll be set. It seems like it never ends. It seems like we don't have within us an internal limiter. You know those trucks that can't go past 65 miles an hour because they have an internal Limiter. We don't have that gauge that says enough's enough. We'll just go on forever with this. Really what it is, it's a faulty philosophy. Of where, what's going to make us happy. And we think if we just save our kids from these struggles that we had to go through, they'll be better off. And it goes on and on. Until someone comes along and exposes the financial philosophy that we've thoughtlessly and thoroughly adopted. Someone like Stephen King. Take another person that has money that can speak to it. He said at a commencement address, a couple of years ago I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road, covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. When you come, we come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke, not a crying dime. That's what he's saying to, to graduates. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be a quarter past getting late, whether you tell the time on a Timex or a Rolex. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. Stephen King. I think... You know, there's a slide, if you wouldn't mind clicking ahead, uh, Hilda. It's the one with the, it's a little further. I think it's that one. There you go. Jesus, in talking to the rich young man who comes up to him, and talking to each of us, wants us to get to this moment. That moment of realization of the faulty foundation. You catch it in the rich young man when, he, when it says, he went away, his face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
You notice it in the disciples. They don't get this teaching either. The disciples are amazed. The disciples were even more amazed, it says. They were just completely confused by this teaching. They couldn't understand it. They said, who then can be saved? It's meant to catch you deer in the headlights, catch you realizing that you're clutching on to something that is absolutely not going to work, not going to hold you up. So the first thing Jesus does with us is he helps make us aware of the competing treasures that we have in our life, but he also gives you access to a different treasure. And don't miss in this story of the rich man coming up to Jesus that when he says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, the next thing he says is extremely important, and it's a promise, and it's a truth. It's not a possibility. It's just true. He says, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. I also need to do a caveat and say, because there's a lot of focus on heaven theology or, or teaching us people in the Christian world to have a heaven-focused mentality, that Jesus is a lot less afterlife-focused than we think of, than we actually imagine. He's talking about something, a treasure available now. He's talking about what we talk about here is the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God, he puts it in, in other places in this text. He's talking about what you have through Jesus, the relationship of oneness with God, connection to God that is secure, that is yours, that is a treasure better than any treasure in the world. He's not talking about a reward you get after living a good life. So let me give you a picture. Let me give you a little picture of a, a few pictures of the treasure that Jesus gives us access to. The first one I made up, so you can make fun of it. Um, the other two are from the Bible. But, and every once in a while this happens, I get this genius um, illustration idea, and it's a little bit weird, but that's just what happens, and I think they're good. So there's, imagine a village that lives on a small area of land, maybe an island, and this village is struggling and starving and dying. dying they're, they're not doing well. And in this village, they have a food committee. That's the people who, that's their role in the community, is to go out and get food. And what they do is they go every day to this beach, and they, they try to catch fish, and they catch a few. And if you could talk to them, they would say, yeah, you know, it's really tough. We're not catching much fish these days. We catch just, a, you know, just two or three a day, and it's not nearly enough for the community, and we've got to rotate who eats and who doesn't. Every once in a while, we get more, and it's so delightful, but most of the time, not. Sometimes we catch nothing. And as they're explaining this to you, you hear behind you on a pasture beyond the beach, cows mooing. And making all this clatter and this noise. I realize this is not a vegetarian analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for that. So, and you realize, you, like, what about, what about these wild cattle that are just, you can't even count them, they're all over this. And the people officially say, yeah, you know, we'd like to do something about that problem because, you know, they make a mess on the beach. They get in the way of our fishing. We can't, you know, we, they step on our stuff. It's awful. They're making all this racket all day, scaring the fish away. And what would you say to them? You'd say, you'd grab them and you'd wake up and you'd say, look what you have access to, you know. It's, it's hamburger time, right? Okay, so that's the silly analogy. But that's, that's what this exchange with Jesus is like for the rich. It's like he's fishing for stuff that, and he's just getting more and more hungry. There's not enough coming to him. And yet it's right there, his full access to it. 
you look through the Bible, another analogy is the adoption analogy. This is the idea that, um, that you, as a, if you're a Christian, your self-identity is that you have been adopted by a, a king of this gigantic wealthy kingdom and you have, you know, you have no family tie or anything, but just out of the blue, you were a peasant, you were an orphaned peasant, and you were welcomed and actually legally adopted into the royal family. And there's an official documents with your name changed. You can freely walk around the palace grounds. No room is hidden from you. The king, your father, holds back no resource from the kingdom. It's all yours, as the Bible would say, when Jesus enters in, Jesus the prince is born into poverty on a rescue mission to adopt all the orphans, all the stray orphans. And through the price paid on the cross, the adoption is sealed, it's final, it's true. You have been given access. The Bible says you are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. It's all yours. And so does your life reflect it, is the inter- interaction here with Jesus. You have this. This is yours through Jesus. Does your life reflect it? Or does your life reflect a little child playing in a sandbox outside the castle grounds, hoarding plastic toys as if you don't have enough? Is your life a life of collecting trinkets when you've got an endless treasure available to you. And then last of all, a very quick one, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says very briefly, it's like, this is what it's like, this is what the gospel's like, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Someone's walking along through a field, they trip over something, they realize, they dig it up, it's a, it's a hidden treasure. They hide it back up, they go away in joy, and they buy the field. Jesus isn't talking about, you know, become a Christian and you get money. Money. He's talking about that's what your treasure with God is like through Jesus. That's what you have. Jesus has given you access to it. Jesus is the jackpot. Jesus gives us access. And then, lastly, the acceptance. Jesus enables our and empowers our acceptance and your acceptance of the gospel and of the treasure that he gives. The story where Jesus interacts with this rich man is it's, it's a little bit like if you were in a boat, a very small boat floating along, and you could finally, you know, you were out to sea and you needed to be rescued. You can finally see you miles ahead. You can finally see land. And just at that time, the hole that's been a few drops here and there in the boat just kind of starts to open up and the water's coming in. And you have a suitcase full of bars of gold in this boat. And you know all you have to do is grab that, drop it, and you'll be fine. And in this story, this rich young man, it seems as he walks away, he's the person who holds onto that suitcase full of bars of gold as the boat sinks and as he sinks, And even as his head goes underwater, and he can see that land, but he won't let go. He's clutching. Friends, we're all in that boat. And there's no shortcuts around this. There's no shortcuts to land. Where are we going to get the power to pry our fingers off of faulty treasures? Jesus says, with human beings, this is impossible. 
but with God, all things are possible. In a sense, what, what you and I need is to be in prayer about this issue, to be talking to God about this issue. Maybe even more than any other issue in our life, the comfort and treasures that surround us that we're chasing after every day of every week. We need to be in deep dialogue because the issue is not Jesus wants to say to every single one of us, like he said to this man, you know, the exact same message, you go and sell everything, you go and sell everything. But he's, in fact, it's even harder because he's saying something to you. Are you hearing it? And doing the hard work of, of, of being aware, of knowing what he gives, and then figuring out what is next for you. What does this look like? And it's probably not going to be warm and fuzzy. It's, uh, it's going to hurt because letting go of idols in our lives always hurts. And it's probably going to affect your lifestyle. Otherwise, you're not getting it an idol. Otherwise, you're not on the right track. And otherwise, it's probably not from God. Verse 21 says, go sell everything. The message is, sell your treasure to get Jesus. And really what you're, you're either selling your treasure in your life to get Jesus or you're, you're dispensing of Jesus to get another treasure. Unfortunately, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Judas represents where, you, where things end up. He literally, you know the story of Judas, he literally sells Jesus for some silver coins. And then he can't even live with himself when he realizes what that actually is for his life. So you're, on, you're in one of those places. Um, I'll end with this. It's uh, words in a poem by uh, Leif Fisher called For Your Generous Providing. For your generous providing, which sustains us all our days, for your spirit here residing, we proclaim our heartfelt praise. Through the depths of joy and sorrow, through the road, though the road be smooth or rough, fearless we can face tomorrow, for your grace, your grace will be enough. Hush our world's seductive voices, tempting us to stand alone. Save us from the siren voices calling us to trust our own. For those snared by earthly treasure, lured by false security, Jesus, true and only measure, spring the trap and set folk free. Let's pray. God of grace, man, do we need this message, and man, do we hate it. Do we hate having to do business with our false idols. And so we need your help. And we lift it up as a prayer, these last words of that poem. Set us free. Spring the trap in our life. Set us free. Because we can't seem to peel our fingers away from what we have a lock iron grip around. We need your help. And we need it for the, we need it just for ourselves, for our own 
life, so that we might have life, so that we might have joy, so that we might have you instead of a whole bunch of things that crowd you out and make so much noise that we can't even hear your voice. We ask for your help in this through your power in Jesus' name. Amen.